be looking this morning from Psalm 51. Psalm 51. And I'll end up coming to that at some point in the sermon. But I just felt like this kind of brings it all together. Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 10 through 17. Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 10 through 17. It'll also be on the screen, and if you're watching online or on television, it should be on the bottom of your screen as well as we do it. Let us hear God's word this morning. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And then verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. And you do not delight in burnt offering. But the sacrifice of God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and the inspiration of it. And now may it speak to us this morning in a way that will challenge us, change us, and may we never get over it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are in the third week of this series now, and we are talking about uh, God's great big dysfunctional family tree. Now, uh, in case you do not know, we are all a part of God's family tree. We have been grafted in to God's family through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And through our faith in Christ, we are grafted in as a part of that family. And so the Old Testament, we should never unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament because the Old Testament is our spiritual family tree. It is our spiritual ancestry.com. It is our spiritual one, two, three, and me uh, that you know you can do with the DNA website. Well, this is our spiritual family tree that we see in the Old Testament. And so we've been looking at some folks in the Old Testament, and you might think, well, it's God's family, then it sure is a, it should be a perfect family. But we see very quickly early on, as we started with talking about Cain and Abel, that it is not a very perfect family at all. In fact, it is kind of a dysfunctional family. If you see Cain and Abel, uh, the first family, the first children, Cain ends up killing Abel. We talked about that first Sunday, how we are our brother and sister's keepers and how we also are that God's always, uh, God's always extending his grace to us. And, and then last Sunday, we talked about Moses and four don'ts so that we can be used by God. And we talked about not allowing our past to deter our purpose, not letting our setbacks silence us, not letting our defects define us, and not letting 
our performance take the place of God's presence. And so if you missed that, you can go back and watch that. And then this Sunday, I'm going to be talking about another guy. Today, I'm talking about this guy named David. Now, don't worry, ladies. Uh, you may be saying, well, he's talking about all men. Well, next Sunday, next weekend is ladies' night, all right? So, uh, so we're going to be talking about some women and, and, and how God used them in uh, the Old Testament and all. So don't worry, that is coming. Uh, it, you have not been forgotten, but so just get ready, all right? Like I say, next weekend's ladies' night. Not cool in the gang song, but anyway. But, uh, but, but we are going to be looking at that. But today we are looking at David. Um, there's, he's definitely an important person in our spiritual family tree. He's one of the sons of Jesse. He's under the tribe from the tribe of Judah. He played a harp. We know that. He kept sheep. He's the writer of many, uh, if not most, of the, the Psalms. And he is uh, also um, there. He's, just, he's probably most famous for the story I told to the children a while ago in fighting the giant Goliath and, so that, and the David and Goliath story. So, but, um, but, but before we get into his life and, and what he can teach us this morning is um, I want us to kind of look at a little bit of background because you see after the conquest and after uh, the, the, the Israelites were led out of Egypt and into the promised land, then God set up judges that ruled uh, Egypt. I mean Israel during those times. And, and some of the judges you, you can look at in the book of Judges, of course, and some of the judges were folks like Gideon and Deborah, and, and Samson was also a judge. Now, he didn't end up being a very good one in some ways. We know that he kind of had some issues with uh, a young lady by the name of Delilah, and, and that didn't turn out too good for Samson in some ways. But anyway, but, but God was using them. But Israel kept going back to God and saying, we want a king. We, all the other nations have a king. We want a king. And so God said, okay, you want a king? I'll give you a king. And so he had the prophet Samuel, and what he was do he said he had the king that would be the ruler and and kind of the political ruler and and hopefully a spiritual ruler but he also would have prophets that would speak to the king advise the king and uh you know call the king on the carpet if they needed to do that and all and so samuel was the prophet he anointed saul to be the first king of israel so as a nation now they get a king they get to be like everybody else but the problem was saul ended up kind of not being a great king. He started out pretty good, but it wasn't too long before Saul uh, really started having a troubling spirit, a troubled spirit. And, and in fact, so what happens is, is that God tells Samuel, listen, we need to have a plan B here. Go ahead, and I want you to anoint the next king. And I want you to go to the house of Jesse. And so he goes to the house of Jesse, and that's when David and his brothers are there, and they bring in like all the brothers. And, and listen to the, the guidance that God gives Samuel in verse, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So in other words, this is where God is looking for someone with a pure heart. And that right there, I preach all day long. God's not looking at the outside. God is looking at the inside. And so they go through all the different shepherd, uh, I mean, all the different sons until they finally get to David. And Samuel's like, well, uh, I, 
it's not looking too good here because God's like, nope, not that one, not that one. They get to David, and look at what happens in verse 12. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes. Now look at ruddy, that means that he's dark. With bright eyes and good looking. In other words, he, I don't know about the tall part, but he was dark and handsome, okay? Anyway, it's wild he said, we're not looking at the outside, but they did throw that in. You know what I'm saying? But anyway... And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. And by this time, as David is anointed to be the future king, Saul is already kind of going down the wrong road. He's dabbling in witchcraft and other things, and he has a troubled spirit. And so he ends up having David actually come. When he finds out that David plays the harp, he has David to come and to play the harp for him to soothe him. Now, this was before the days of goat yoga and things like that that people do now. Y'all didn't know they did? There's, there's really goat yoga. I think there's a place up near Burgall that does goat yoga. But anyway, but, um, but, uh, but it's before all those kind of things that we do to soothe ourselves now. But, but David is playing for Saul. He ends up becoming his armor bearer, and this is when the story really gets good. So I want to talk to you about the story of David and how it's a story that's good, the bad, and the beautiful. The story of the good, the bad, and the beautiful. Now, you thought I might have been going to say like the old Clint Eastwood Spaghetti Western, the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? You know, I love that movie. But anyway, but that no, I'm talking about the good, the bad, and the beautiful. And so let's first look at the good, the good. What was good about David? First of all, if you look through David, uh, David's life, he is fully relying on God. He fully relies on God. That's where the acronym frog comes from. Even made a yogurt sweet frog from that. And, and uh, he is fully relying on God. We see that uh, especially in the story of David and Goliath. You remember whenever that giant Goliath's out there, he's the Philistines champion. David uh, goes to Saul's tent and he says, well, I've killed lions and bears and stuff and I, I could take them on. And, and, and he tries on Saul's armor and Saul's armor doesn't fit. And, and, and so he says, I, I can't do this. This isn't me. And, and let me tell you something. I think a lot of times we try to fight the battle with the wrong weapon. Amen. We try to fight the battles of our lives with somebody else's armor, with somebody else's way, all of that. That's not what David, he decided, no, I can't do this. I've got to do it the way that God made me to do it. And so he takes the sling, takes five smooth stones. I've heard different theories about why five. Maybe if he missed the first four, or maybe uh, I've heard others that the other four were for Goliath's four other brothers. I'm not sure. But anyway, but he takes five smooth stones. He goes out to Goliath. And look at what happens here. Goliath standing there, and, and here's David in verse 45 of chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you had defied. David is going fully relying on God. And David takes that one little, uh, one little stone, puts it in his sling, slings it, it sinks into the head of Goliath, and he falls down, and David walks over there and cuts off his head. Now, if you read a little later, David carries that head around for a while because he wants people to see the victory that God has done. And folks... I don't know what kind of giant that you've been 
coming up against here lately. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's a giant of discouragement. Maybe it's a giant of a doctor's report. Or maybe it's the giant of addiction. Or maybe it's a giant of a broken heart or grief that you have been coming up, that's, that's been standing there taunting you. But when we fully rely on God, we can take on that giant. And we can have the victory that God wants to give each and every one of us. The second thing that David did, I think that was good. He was a person of praise. He was a person of praise. Listen, if you look at David, he praised the Lord. He praised him early with his harp. He praised him with the Psalms. He, he, I mean, if you look at his Psalms, now I love the Psalms because they really get honest with God. If you ever wonder, can you get honest with God and God's big enough for you to get mad with, sad with, all of that, uh, argue with a little bit and everything, just look at the Psalms. David does some of that all. But one of the things he really does a whole lot of in the Psalms, he praises the Lord. In fact, towards the end, uh, Psalm 149, 150, definitely 150 is all about praise. And he ends it. He ends the book of Psalms saying, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. He praised them. He praised them with song. He praised them with harp and lyre. He praised them with instruments. He even praised them with dance. I want you to see two different times whenever David was orchestrating a dance for the Lord. The first is when they had built, uh, after he was king and they had fought against some Philistines again and he comes back into the, uh, into the city in and, and 1 Samuel 18, 6. Now it had happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine. Actually, this was still when Saul was king. That the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. David was always putting on a praise party, amen? And then when he does become king, and he actually joins the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom together for about two years though, there, he didn't have the northern kingdom, he, he joins them together. They go into the Ark of the Covenant. Remember, the Ark of the Covenant was the, uh, was the practical, it, it was the tangible uh, presence of God, seen as the presence of God, and, and so David goes and, and he has it brought back from Obed, and he's bringing it into Jerusalem, and look at 2 Samuel 6, verse 14 and 15. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. Now that was kind of like a, it's kind of like a cummerbund, kind of like tidy whitey underwear, okay, uh, put together, and, and so, so Anyway, but, but, but he danced before all, with all his might. He was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And if you remember, his wife, Michal, she's up there and she gets embarrassed at his dance. I mean, I'm not sure what kind of dancing he was doing. I don't know if he was doing some break dancing. I don't know if he was doing the, you know, whatever it is, the moonwalk there or what. But anyway, she, which my wife's always embarrassed if I'm dancing. But anyway, but she gets embarrassed at his dancing. And he's dancing before the Lord. And he ends up saying, listen, if you think that's bad, if you really, he said, I will get even more undignified than this. He was a person of praise. He fully relied on God, and he was a person of praise, and that was good. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's good. But then there's the bad. Then there's the bad. David was not perfect. And David didn't always make good 
choices. That's what we always tell our kids when they're about to go. Make good choices. Well, David didn't always make good choices. And so there's one night whenever uh, his army's kind of camping out and David's, uh, he's back at the palace and he's kind of up there on the roof and he happens to notice on top of another roof this young lady who's taking a bath. And David's like, now if he just would have walked on away right then, he'd been all right. But no, no, no. What does he do? He inquires to see who she is. And he finds out that she is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. That's one of his captains of his arm, one of his, one of his squadrons. And, and, and he finds out that, and they say, well, Uriah's out there, you know, out there with his camp and with his squadron right now, and David, that's where he really takes the step, okay? He's already in dangerous territory. Then he really takes the bad step, the wrong choice, whenever he says, well, go ahead and tell her that the king is summoning her. Now, here's the thing, and this was before the Me Too movement, but this would have definitely fallen in there for sure. Uh, when the king summoned you, you didn't have a choice. You had to go. And so she had to go. And David and Bathsheba, he, he knows her in the biblical sense that night, and if you're wondering what that is, ask your Sunday school teacher later. But anyway, the, uh, they end up, Bathsheba becomes pregnant, and whenever she sends word to David that she's pregnant, he's like, ooh, ooh i got to cover this up somehow. And so what he does, he says, well, you're right, Hittite's right there at his camp, so I'll just tell him to come back and stay, stay tonight with his wife. And so he sends word for Uriah. He says, hey, come back, take a night off from the camp, take a night, spend a night with your wife, put on some Luther Vantross, you know what I'm saying, and everything. And, 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 and uh, Uriah's like, I can't leave my men out here. I don't want to go sleep in, in, in my home whenever they're out here in the camp. So he, he, he says, no, I wouldn't do that to my men. So then David says, ooh, that didn't work. i got to do something else. And he ends up setting up the murder of Uriah the Hittite. He tells his men, put Uriah and his squadron at the front. And when you get into battle, turn around. And leave them there. And Uriah the Hittite's killed. So now David is not only committed adultery, the child ends up dying. Uriah the Hittite has been murdered. I don't know about y'all, but that sounds bad. Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, That's bad. We got the good, we got the bad, but now I want to tell you about the beautiful. So what happens? Nathan the prophet comes. Nathan the prophet. Now he's kind of taken over for Samuel here and Nathan comes to David and, and, and David thinks nobody knows about this but God lets Nathan know what happened. See, this also tells you even when we don't think anybody else sees it, God sees it. Amen? God knows it. Even if we don't tell somebody how we feel, God knows how we're feeling. Amen? And so Nathan comes to David. He says, hey, David, I got a situation for you. He said, there's this, I heard about this uh, rich farmer had all this sheep and everything, but he was throwing a party one night, and, and he didn't want to use any of his sheep, and there's this, four, this poor farmer that has this one little ewe lamb, that, lamb that's been like a pet to them, and, and he loved that lamb, and his family loved that lamb, and, and so the rich farmer went and took the poor farmer's one little lamb and had it that night for his party and everything, and David's like, what? This is terrible. 
This is so bad. And, and, and he, says, he, he says, I know what we need to do. We need to have that rich farmer put to death because he took what was not his when he had all that he needed. And Nathan looks at David in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7 8 says, Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. He confronts David with his sin. And here's what David does next. David repents. David repents. He repents, and in Psalm 51, that's where Psalm 51 comes in. If you want to know, there were different psalms for different occasions during David's life. Psalm 51 is the prayer of repentance that David prays when after Nathan has confronted him about the, one of the biggest sins that we know of in David's life. In Psalm 51, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Blot out my transgressions. Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. And when he connects even the sin in his life with the grace of God as he repents, God begins to do something beautiful in his life. God begins to turn things around for David. And even though there were consequences of that sin, and even though it was bad, it was not good in any way, not good, but whenever he repents, God still decides to use David. God had given David the dream for a temple for them to build for God, and that dream becomes something that later Solomon, of course, finishes. But that dream of God's house being there in Jerusalem is by David. And then, if here's how we remember David. Here's how we remember David in Acts chapter 10 when, when Paul's preaching. He, he brings up David because he knows they know who David is. They respect David. And in verses 22 and 23, look at what he says. He says, He raised up for them David as king. He says, I have found David, the son of Jesse. This is the great part. A man after my own heart who will do all my will. And from this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior who is Jesus Christ. Listen, with the good and even with the bad, when David lives a life of repentance, God makes it into a beautiful thing. God makes it into a beautiful things. With the good and the bad, God can make us into beautiful things things and he can do great mighty things I, I was reading one preacher brought up how you know in in the older days and probably they're doing it again because everything's going back to this whole 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 stuff and wholesome stuff and and natural and everything but in the old days they would make soap and not sure if you knew this but they would make a lot of soaps they would actually use ashes to make some of the best soap and whenever they added the ashes to these other uh, chemicals and these other uh, particles, it would turn it into a cleaning factor. And folks, that's what repentance is. 
Repentance is whenever we take the ashes of our mess-ups and our sin and our, 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 our setbacks and all these things that have broken us because here's what God says. It's not your sacrifices that I want. What I can use is a contrite and a broken heart. And when we take the ashes of our broken heart and we add them with our repentance and the power of God and the grace of God, He makes beautiful things into our lives. Amen? Yes, we can praise God for that. Amen. And that's exactly what he wants to do this morning for us. So whatever you're battling, whatever the ashes are from, let us allow God to pair it with his amazing grace, with our repentance and surrender, and make beautiful things this morning. Let us pray. Lord, we come to you, not with our sacrifices, Lord, but with broken and contrite hearts. Lord, we know that you take the good, you take the bad, and you make us into beautiful things. Now, Lord, anybody that needs you to do just that this morning, whether they're in this house or whether they're watching online, Lord, we pray this morning that you do just that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.